0: Shifting from right to left, play action on that side. Rolling
1: ride looking, fires to the end zone, kind of main, oh, That's a 15
0: Welcome to the Bowl Season Stories Podcast, Season 3, episode 18. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season. And today we are joined by Vice President for Sports at Shriner's Children's, Bob Roller, and current ESPN college football analyst and former head football coach at Mississippi State and Florida, Dan Mullen. If you missed any of our previous episodes, you can catch them on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's show, we'd appreciate you to like, subscribe, and drop a five-star rating. And as always, you can follow all the Bowl Season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at Bowl Season. Today's show is brought to you by Sport Radar, reimagining immersive experiences for sports fans and betters. Our first guest is the Vice President of Sports for Shriners Children's. He oversees the East-West Shrine Bowl, as well as numerous other national sporting events that benefit the healthcare system. He was an athletics director for 20 years at Campbell University and Samford University. Please welcome to the show, Bob Roller. Bob, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Nick.
2: Pleasure to be here.
0: And welcome to the Bowl Season family. We announced last week that the East-West Shrine Bowl is now officially a part of Bowl Season, where we think it has always belonged. Bowl Season is a celebration of college football, and the East-West Shrine Bowl certainly fits in with our mission and vision. But from your perspective, why is this affiliation important to you and the East-West Shrine Bowl?
2: Well, it was a goal of mine since I took this position a little over five years ago, was to incorporate the East-West Shrine Bowl with Bowl Season, which you all have done such a tremendous job, of having all of the games under one umbrella now. We realized that no postseason All-Star game was belonged in that. We closed out a few weeks after the final national championship game and just thought it would be a logical admission for us. We're just real excited. Our board is very excited that we can tell our story through your platforms as well.
0: We're excited as well. Now, your game raises money every year for Sh- Shriners Children's Hospital so they can reach more kids to offer hope and healing The work you do is incredible. Tell us about Shriners Children's and why it is impactful for you personally and for everyone involved.
2: Well, that's the big thing, Nick, that it's been so important to me. I still get to work in athletics like I did as an athletics director, but now there's such a greater cause and a greater mission uh, while I'm still around all kinds of wonderful national sporting properties. But Shriners Children's is now, the hospital system is 101 years old and it started in 1922. And so now we've over hundred years, we've uh, raised over millions and millions of dollars to treat more than 1.5 million kids across the country for various diseases, orthopedic conditions, burn injuries, cleft palate. So we have 22 facilities in North America and over hundred access points across the globe. And what we're most proud of is, is that families can always come to Shriners Children's regardless of their ability to pay a single bill.
0: Now, this bowl game isn't the only event that you and Shriners Children's put on each year. Tell us about the other events you host.
2: That's great. You're right. This is the oldest. The East-West Shrine Bowl is definitely our oldest as it heads for 100 years in, 19, in 2025. But we have the Shriners Children's Open, which is a PGA event on the tour. It's held every fall in Las Vegas. Uh, we have a Shriners Children's Classic in Charleston, a college basketball event that's with ESPN Events, we now in this coming February begin the Shriners Children's Clearwater Classic, uh, which is softball with ESPN events, which is the best of the NCAA women's softball. We have it as NASCAR events as well, and a baseball event in Texas at Globe Life Field in Arlington called the Shriners Children's Showdown with six of the best college baseball teams that play every February. So really a great cross-section, a lot of college sports, some pro with our golf tournament. All of this 100% benefits Shriners Children's.
0: That's, uh, I don't think our listeners, you know, the, your, the, the bowl game is your most forward-facing property. I don't think most of our listeners knew about those other events. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Now, in terms of the All-Star game, the best players in college football from across the country. They obviously come together to compete in the East West Shrine Bowl, but they also get to work with Shriners during their week-long experience leading up to the game. What are some of your favorite memories with the athletes interacting with these kids?
2: Well, you're so right. They're there on a job interview. They're there for their NFL career and their future. But it never fails that if we talk to someone 20, 30 years afterward, they don't remember the game. They don't remember how they did in the third quarter. They remember the visit to the hospital. They remember the young boy or the young girl that they played basketball with or rode a bicycle with for a moment. That's it. And it's very true. Every year, the all-stars at our event end up being our patients. We bring them now to the game this year, which I'm sure we'll talk about is in Frisco, Texas. We bring our national patient ambassadors as well as local patients from the various hospitals in that area And they interact with the All-Stars throughout the week, play with them, get to know them. And before it's over, you know, the All-Stars are asking our patients for autographs and jerseys.
0: We talk a lot about how bowl games offer players, especially seniors, one more opportunity to play a college football game. The Shrine Bowl offers a unique opportunity for players to wrap up their college careers on a high note with one more bowl game, an All-Star game. We obviously under, uh, understand the importance of the East-West Shrine Bowl, but explain why bringing all of these players together is so important.
2: Well, there are over 600 NFL scouts that will join us in Frisco for the week. Uh, it is a full week-long job interview. The young men arrive a week before the game, and they're in a hotel. It's very much, for our listeners who are used to college football travel, it's one night. You fly Friday, you play Saturday, you fly home. This is a week-long trip like a bowl game, except that there's less fanfare. There's there's no go-kart races and cookouts as much because these guys are working day and night, and then they go to bed for the next day. So more than anything else, what we do is we bring 130 of what has always been college seniors eligible for the draft. Now there are the opportunities for juniors as well to one site They interview, they get tested, they have the mental and the physical tests, weights and measurements. Practice every day is an incredible workout. NFL coaches are brought by the NFL to our game to coach them throughout the week. The East staff and the West staff each have about 12 NFL coordinators and position coaches. And so by the time it's over, there are young men who walked into the game uh, possibly as an undrafted free agent and walk out drafted, Quite notably, uh, Brock Purdy, two years ago, walked into our game. Still was drafted very late, but seems to be doing all right about now.
0: Well, what a tremendous opportunity your game gives to these student athletes to to do everything you just said and, and help them raise their standing in the upcoming draft. I'm sure you have a, a, a lot of guys wanting to be in your game. You only have so many roster spots available. Tell us about your process of selecting and inviting players to participate in your game.
2: It's very competitive, it really is. Agents call, scouts call. Um, it, It reminds you a little bit of the recruiting process that they went through four years earlier. There's also competition, just like when Georgia and Alabama go for the same wide receiver, We obviously compete against the Senior Bowl, which is another excellent all-star game in Mobile, Alabama. So there are times when we have invites out that the young men are choosing between our game or their game. They may have an interest in playing with a certain quarterback that may be at our game. So it really is an elaborate year-round process. We have a full scouting team that's headed by a man named Eric Galco, who does a tremendous job, who has really increased our profile and helped us get a lot more pro draft choices than we used to have. Back in the 70s and 80s, the East-West Shrine game was the game. The top 10 draft picks, the top 22 draft picks came to the game. That world has changed drastically, as bowl season people know, where these young men sometimes don't even play in their own team's bowl game. So it's harder to get them to participate in an all-star game. But we still hope to have, of these 130 young guys that show up in a few weeks, we hope to have 55 or so of them drafted next April.
0: Bob, you touched on this a couple minutes ago. Until this year, a player had to have played a senior year in college to be eligible to play in any college football all-star game. Now, any player leaving school early and declaring for the NFL draft can be selected to play in your game. How will that impact your game moving forward? It's tricky,
2: and it came about late this fall, so that made it even a little more tricky. But it's on January 9th of 2024 when the NFL clears the juniors' to be eligible for the draft, then they become eligible to play in an all-star game, which is new for us uh, for the first time in the 99 years of the East-West Shrine Bowl. So we have to save some spots, but we have to be careful. It's it's really a kind of a, a, a guessing game because some of these juniors may not play in an all-star game anyway. They feel like if they're coming out early, they're going to get drafted. Some of them make poor decisions, quite frankly, and that doesn't happen, but others know that they're going to go high. So it is a it is a d- difficult situation, and it makes it even harder for those last 15 or 20 young men on our list who are seniors that uh, may not be invited at the very end because now the juniors are eligible.
0: You mentioned the long history of your game. Bowl season in general is all about history. I think now that you're a part of bowl season, you're the second oldest bowl game, second only to the to the Rose Bowl. Your game has been around for 99 years this year, right? Next year is going to be the 100-year anniversary, which is going to be awesome. Countless stars have participated in your game, such as Lawrence Taylor, Tom Brady, Walter Payton, John Elway, amongst others. In your time working for Shiner's Children's, what have been some of your favorite memories from the games? And are there any stories from before your time that have been passed along?
2: Well, there are great stories from the old days when the tournament, uh, the tournament and the game was played out in Palo Alto. I mean, it is amazing to imagine that the East-West Shrine Game used to be on Christmas Day, sold out, He's our Stadium, eighty thousand fans, and it aired on both CBS and NBC at the same time. Wow, that's that's that's, that's the way the world was. And I remember as a young child watching that game, you would see the sunshine hit the field. It'd be like watching the Rose Bowl all over again. Obviously those days have changed. Coaches have been uh, great stories in the past of where people have coached Jerry Glanville and Bum Phillips and names, you know, legendary names like that coached in the game. It used to be college coaches and college all-star coaches like Nick Saban would come and George Perlis from Michigan state. And so um, there are, there are so many stories like that, but more than anything, it's um, it's people like Johnny Rogers and Gail Sayers and Roger Staubach. And like, as you said, Lawrence Taylor, Tom Brady came to that game as a third string quarterback on the East side from Michigan only played in the fourth quarter uh, had a really good game and more importantly, had a good practice. And um, the Patriots saw him, drafted him in the sixth round. I mean, and and literally he was outside of Michigan, not really known of. And so, and he was drafted later in life. You know, he very much uh, talked about how he had a chip on his shoulder from being drafted in the sixth round. If he had not played in the East-West Shrine Bowl, he, he probably wouldn't have been drafted at all.
0: Bob, one of the coolest things I think when I've watched your game over the years is, is seeing the The East team with their uniforms, the West team with their uniforms, but they're all the players are wearing their school's helmets. Yes. If you have a favorite team, you're watching the game, you're seeing which one of your guys you can pick all. And sometimes they have the stickers from their new friends they made from the other schools. What a great tradition that is.
2: It really is. And I'll tell you, we had a meeting about it yesterday. And you know how they don't want to take the fun out of football anymore. And celebrations are a big part of it. And and I'll get to the sticker point in a minute. But we do have a unique celebration where we put our patients in the end zone of these games in a very safe location. But when the guys have an interception or a touchdown, there's a, a balcony area where they go straight to celebrate with our patients. But getting back to the stickers, we had a call about that just yesterday because I'm a purist and I hate to see that multiple sticker. But I know the guys love it, and they trade stickers at the game. So this year, our plan and hope is that we will have a sponsored – maybe bowl season will sponsor it – but we will have a sponsored event at the post-game ceremony on the field the minute the game is over, where the guys trade their stickers as they leave. And also, our patients will come with an empty helmet, and the players will put their stickers on the patients' helmets. But during the game, we hope that the Carolina, Texas, Southern Cal, Virginia Tech helmets – uh, will stay pure.
0: Great idea. I love I love that. I can't wait to see the video from that. And, and I'm going to be at your game. I've never been to, to your game before. I'm going to come this year. I Great. can't wait. Well, to all our listeners, you can catch the East-West Shrine Bowl on Thursday, February 1st on the NFL Network. Bob, what else do we need to know?
2: Well, for those in the North Texas area, we're really excited that we're playing at the Star in Frisco, Texas, the world headquarters of the Dallas Cowboys, who just might possibly still be playing that week and practicing for a Super Bowl. You never know. But regardless, our game is Thursday night. If you go to ShrineBowl.com, tickets are available for as low as $20 to see a game, and that's an unheard of price. But our interest is to get people in the building and not worry so much about the ticket admission. So the game is the fir- Thursday night at the Star in Frisco, and we look forward to seeing you. Bob, thanks so much for joining us. We're
0: really proud of this partnership. Like I said at the beginning, the East Swiss Shrine Bowl has really been always been a part of bowl season. We've just made it official and we're really excited about it. Thank you, Bob.
2: Great. It's great working with you all. It's your tremendous team.
0: Take care. Bye. Tax Act knows watching college football is fun. Doing your taxes? Not so much. That's why they make filing simple. So let's get them over with. TaxAct, the official tax filing software of bowl season. Go to TaxAct.com to get started today. Our next guest has 27 years of college coaching experience. He was the head football coach at Mississippi State for nine seasons and the University of Florida for four seasons. He now spends his time as a television analyst for ABC and ESPN. Please welcome to the show, Dan Mullen. Dan, thanks for joining us.
1: Great to be with you, Nick.
0: We've known each other a long time now, Dan. It's hard to believe. <laughs> yeah. 23 years ago, you and I were were at Notre Dame together, you know, drinking a beer at the linebacker lounge. We had no money. <laughs> uh, we've been through a lot over the 23 years. And here we are
1: uh, doing a podcast together. Pretty cool. Oh yeah. Those those days were those days are fun. When you're that young, up and coming, you're trying to make it in the business. Uh, you know, everybody thinks there's there's all the glory that goes on and they don't see everybody behind the scenes, all the, the grad assistants and us lowly people back then that are like scraping by, like sleeping on the floors of apartments, whatever you can find and, uh, and enjoying life, but learning a lot about football, learning about how it works and, and having a great time.
0: Yeah. Sometimes you want to fast forward. You're thinking, I don't have any money. I can't wait till I make some money. And, you know, never, you know, I don't know how the saying goes, Dan, but, you know, enjoying the process, enjoy the journey. Cause sometimes the destination isn't as much fun as you you thought it was going to be, you know, as you get older, that's a different perspective.
1: Oh yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, the journey is creative. The journey is where you learn too many people, you know, in the world to be successful. Uh, If you don't understand the journey, it's hard to get to the destination and and the journey is what it is. And, you know, that's in, in today's world, everybody wants instant gratification right now. And I just tell guys, I mean, you know, I was very fortunate. I learned from a lot of great coaches throughout the years. Uh, you know, I was I was a grad, most people now are like, Hey, I, I don't want to put my time. I want to just coach here. I, I was a grad assistant for seven years, uh, you know? And, and so, I mean, that's seven years of basically making no money, scraping by just, you know doing whatever's after you're working breaking down film till three o'clock in the morning um and you're paying your dues but i'll tell you what is during that time i learned everything uh that you need to become successful later on and you build that foundation from the ground up to have success no doubt about it
0: well we're going to talk about bowl season in a minute but before we do that Uh, today, after 27 years coaching college football, you're now working as an analyst talking about college football alongside Matt Barry in studio, as well as covering the games themselves. Tell me what goes into your preparation for game day as an analyst and how does it compare to your preparation as a coach?
1: Well, you know, it's different, you know, and it's so funny when I, when I'm with all the TV people is the things that are easy come really easy to me or harder for them. And the things that are harder for me are, you know, harder for me comes easy to them. So, you know, Matt Barry and I, I'll sit there and, and you know, early in the week, we have a game. Usually we were calling the Thursday night games all year. So uh, and then I'm in studio over the weekend. So I'd get home on Sunday and spend some time with my family. But Monday morning, you get really into the next game, uh, you know, and I can get on the film and I'm start breaking down the film of the, of the teams that we're watching you know, I I can buzz through that and have a great understanding of what they're trying to do on offense, what they're trying to do on defense, you know, what's going on in certain situations of the game, who they want to get the ball to, what their key plays are. That's the easy part for me, (laughs) you know, and then we get into production meetings and, you know, what's going on, how we're talking about things, when we're going to breaks, when to talk, when not to talk. Then we get into the roster with all the names and, you know, because to me through all the years, I'm a number guy. You know, like, oh, okay, hey, we got hey, we we better better double number 13 on the outside, you know what I mean? And uh hey, we, when when 48 shows he's blitzing off the edge, we need to chip him as the defensive end. And then I'm with Matt Barry. And if I say hey, 48, he could reel off everybody's name on every roster. I'm like, even like in game. I'm like, uh, you know, okay, uh, who's that? I gotta look down on my boards to figure out and, and try to remember all the names because I know the numbers and I know where the numbers are supposed to be as a coach. Uh, but it is it's a, it's a lot of fun because you're involved in the game. I love I love doing it. I love being part of the game. I love talking about the game, uh, trying to explain it to people, uh, situations that go on and what's going on in different decisions, what's happening during the course of the game. And, and you know what? I'm, I'm really fortunate to be with a guy like Matt Berry, who we have just such a great time. And Harry Lyles on the sidelines. Of this. When we're doing the games, uh, we have a great time. I get to be with Matt Berry and Joey Galloway at Studio, which is fantastic. So the the prep is really interesting. It, it is, uh, I will say this though, you know, the harder things that people that you get into when you get into the TV industry, this is what's fun on podcasts. We get to talk and ramble on is while you're doing it, you have someone in your ear saying, okay, you have four seconds to say something very impactful. And they're talking to you during those whole four seconds. Like, okay, four, three, two, one. They're like, trying to get it all in. And then you Uh, missed your chance by then. uh, You missed your chance. Um, But it's a lot of fun. We have such a great time, you know, uh, uh, doing it, being involved in the game. And I really, I'm having a lot of fun.
2: Well,
0: we're right smack in the middle of bowl season right now. You're certainly no stranger to bowl games. I, my math might be off, but I believe you've led or coached 10 teams in bowl games as a head coach going seven and three. You've also been yep. a part of eight other bowl games as an assistant coach, give or take. Uh, tell us about those experiences and some
1: of the memories from those games that have stood out to you over the years. As you said, seven and three, the seven, the seven are great. The three are awful. Uh, <laughs> No, I'll tell you what. I'm I'm a big proponent. I love bowl games, um, I, I, I and I love what they stand for. I love the old school bowl game all the way back when I was a kid, right? I mean, the, one of my favorite day of the year used to be New Year's Day back in the old days when um, you'd wake up and there were game after game after game after game. I mean, three on at a time of college football, uh, you know, free cable when everybody in the world You know, you could see every game. New Year's Day used to be one of the greatest days of college football with the bowl games. But being a part of them as a coach, um, you know, the one thing I always enjoyed, I always thought the bowls were a reward for a a great season. I took over as the the head coach at Mississippi State. And those guys had not been to many bowl games. And uh, our second year, we made it to the – my second year, we went to the Gator Bowl. And for those players, that opportunity to get into the Gator Bowl – uh, to go do that, we went down to Florida and and just enjoyed the trip. You get to go down to Jacksonville. Uh, they get to go see the beach. They get to go do activities. They get to go learn about the different cities. It, it is the the bowl experience to me. You put all this work in all year, final exams finish. We always try to design it to have the best time on campus. You know, we would do community service stuff on campus. Um, every year, I, I would try to always make it very set where we did football from 10 to 4. Hey, from 10 to 4, we're all football. But you have the morning, you have the evenings, all up to you. And when we get to these different bowl games, I think the, the things that people miss out on now uh, is the, the overall experience. You get to go to a city you've never been to. We have guys that maybe go to the beach. They've never seen the ocean before. I mean, just... It it it's such a different deal. You get to go learn different culture. You get to hang out with your teammates, have fun, uh, you know, and then you get to go play football. The guys love playing football. And to get that opportunity to go play one more game with all your teammates to finish off a great season, I always thought was so special. And, you know, today's world, I think people have tried to change what bowl games are all about. And, you know, they're, they're, you see like, you know, hey, it, it has to be about the playoffs. Or it has to be there. There's opt-outs, or doing this, or doing that. I think they've lost what was so special. When you talk to the people that are involved in bowls throughout the years, that were in it a long time, they've they're they're forgetting what makes it special. When people cover the bowl, they're forgetting what makes it special, which is these guys had a really successful year. They're being rewarded with this great opportunity to go somewhere to a city they've never been to before to get to go enjoy it, have a great time as a team. They put out all kinds of events. They take care of you at the bowl games and you get to go play a game of football and have fun. And you get to do it on national TV and everybody in the country is watching you. Like they're enjoying their holidays and they're watching you play football. I, I I'm such a huge fan of bowl games and all my experiences. Well, let's elaborate
0: on that a little bit. Cause we talk a lot on this show about the idea that, you know, You and I know college football is an uneven playing field, right? There's not too many programs that are going to be challenging for a 14 player, if even a 12 team playoff on an annual basis. And I think we need to understand that it's okay. If a bowl game doesn't factor into the national championship equation, it's still really meaningful to, to a program that might be in a different uh, point in their development, some of these younger Division I programs, or even a historic program. Nebraska hasn't been to a bowl game in six years. So one of the reasons I was looking forward to, to talking to you about this is you've coached in a wide variety of bowl games over the years. Sure, the National Championships game, New Year's Six games, but as you mentioned, you've you know, Liberty Bowl in Memphis, the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville, Music City Bowl in Nashville, and Charlotte, Tampa. You know, were those games meaningful to your programs when you played in them?
1: They always were, and, and we always made them extremely meaningful. I, I that that's the part to me that um I think people forget, and the players, I, I, you know, we would always talk about it with the team of coming, and there was, you know, the, the here's the goal of the bowl experience: one win the game. That you you never miss out. We are here to win a football game. And as long as we always made that the priority number one that we are gonna finish this year off and win. Our seniors, our older players, this is their last opportunity to put on that jersey and represent their school. We want to send them off in a winning way. Our younger players, this is the kickoff into next season. We don't get to play again for nine months. We, you know, we want to leave with a winning taste in our mouth. There's a great opportunity for guys that didn't play a lot during the season to get development. So number and get an opportunity to get on the field maybe and play some. So number one was always we are here to win the game. Number two is this is a reward. We, we're being rewarded for a great year. We got the opportunity, you know, hey, we, we'd always say this. Hey, if, if you work really hard, they give you, they're going to let you play 12 games. If you work really hard, they're going to give you an opportunity to play more, you know, and if you love football, you want to play more. And, you know, when you got that opportunity, well, no matter where it was, whether it was the Liberty Bowl, whether it was Music City or going down to to the Gator Bowl, all, all of them, Charlotte. Uh, you know I get a great uh, it, it's kind of a fun deal I got to call the the the, the music city uh, the I'm sorry the uh the 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 Liberty Bowl last year so I've I've coached I've won it as a coach and I've got to call it on TV. fun I get the same opportunity in Charlotte this year um I won the the Charlotte uh, it was it was the Belt Bowl and now it's the Duke's Mayo Bowl so I I avoided the mayonnaise bath but um the uh and now I get to call it but those opportunities for the team is we're not, we're there to win a football game, but we're going to go have a great experience. And all the players and the teams that I've coached, uh, with the exception of one bowl game, I thought it was, you know, and unfortunately that was during the COVID year where everything was different. I think the players were just completely Exhausted and not, not physical, emotionally exhausted. And you didn't cause and you didn't have the bowl experience. You were in masks, you were locked in a hotel, you there for one day, go play a game. And uh but I, I gotta tell you, with the exception of that one game with everything changed in the world of COVID, uh, we didn't go to a bowl game where our players did not have an unbelievable experience. And it wasn't it was so you said we went seven and three. I I I I, I really enjoyed the seven, uh, the three hurt, um, <laughs> and the, uh, but you know what? We were always really successful and had a great time doing it.
0: So you said number one, you go to win a bowl game. Number two, it's a reward for a successful season. You alluded to the number three. Oftentimes, it's a launching point for the next season, right?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. It, it is. I think it is. I, you know, uh, in today's world, because, you know, you people, you you have a, a big practice time leading up to it. So what we would always do is go in phases of bowl games. So the initial phase was a recovery uh, phase for the older players, you know, where they've just played a long season, but it was a developmental phase for the young players. So we're doing a lot of skills and drills, work and recovery, health and technique and fundamentals for the older players. But it was the younger players who were getting a lot of opportunity to get out on the field, make plays, and go do things uh, in the practice. Uh, the second phase was always prep, you know, game prep at our facility where we do a game week. You know, you'd go the last four days before we'd take a, a break for the Christmas holidays, uh, would walk in, and we'd do a four-day practice week. And we would leave with our final practice just like we would on a Thursday and on that thursday we'd walk in and and like hey we're ready to go play the day the game hey guys go home we take a little christmas holiday everybody show up at the bowl site well our thought on that was when we got to the bowl site we'd already prepped we were already ready to play the game so everything else is a review
0: uh you, you perfect transition you you started talking about your bowl preparation all right as a coach and as a team Tell me, how has it changed, in your opinion, over the years with you, with now an overlap of bowl preparation, early signing day, transfer portal? How, how do coaches
1: manage all that at the same time? Well, I think it's, it's very similar. I think the early, the pre-Christmas bowl games has changed because of early signing day. I mean, you have an awful lot going on and you miss out a little bit on that developmental stage. You're kind of getting ready for signing day and getting ready for just the game. Uh, I, I think the other hard one in today's world is the transfer portal where it is a shame. I mean, the season hasn't ended, you know, I mean, there's, there's it, that, I, I think, you know, people are looking at it now sometimes say with the bowl games, Hey, I know, I know it is, uh, uh, you know, as we say kind of a celebration at the end of the year, And it, but this season, this team is still playing. The new team's not born till January after the bowl games, when you enroll in school. So this is the final chapter. We always say when you, your team is a book, Right. Then chapter one is born in your first team meeting. You're, you know, hey, you you start the book in early January when you have your first team meeting, and the last chapter is written when you walk off the field at the bowl game. That's that's the game. That's the the life, that's the book, and that's the story. And so I, I do think it's changed a bunch now where the young development players, and, and I experienced it in in the last bowl game I got to coach with during uh was the Cotton Bowl. Uh, we ended up with with 28 players. I think it was opting out, and not playing in the game in that COVID year. Just it, it was for for all the different reasons and going on. And so you walk out there and you realize, okay, th- this isn't really this year's team anymore. And so you're kind of this crossover team. And and so you hate to see that because you really would love to see the team finish out as a team, go compete, go play like we used to in the old days. And I mean, so excited for for so many bowl games and matchups and great deals and teams that we would have loved to see that matchup during the regular season here we are getting a seat in the bowl game um so i think there is an opportunity but it also is an opportunity for younger players it, it is a kickoff to next season uh you know you you have a lot of guys that are playing if they're if you have uh you know that going to charlotte to watch north carolina play drake may is going to be a drop uh, top pick. he's not going to play in the game but you know you have Connor Harrell, uh, Connor Harrell, the young quarterback. You you have your opportunity to go stake a claim at the job. So, I do think there is when you you look at it, and the difference with coaches now is you do take a different approach, possibly than you did the old way. You know, I mean, it, it, the old one instead of it it being this is the last chapter of last year's team, it's kind of the last chapter of last year's team, but it's an introduction. It's it's uh, you know of the uh. uh you get to you know when you finish a book and they they give you the preview of the first couple chapters of of the next of the next novel that author's writing hey a preview of this next book coming out um uh, that's kind of what the bowl game is it's a little bit of a preview of next year's team
0: you've had the opportunity to coach some pretty amazing players in your time uh Heisman trophy winner Tim Tebow comes to mind obviously um Dak Prescott playing currently with the with the Dallas Cowboys now while Tebow was a Big star right from the get-go. Dak kind of slid under the radar a little bit as good as he was, and obviously he's still playing. Talk about those two guys. What went into coaching both of those quarterbacks, and are there any players that you see in today's games that remind you
1: of them? Boy, they. I mean, there are all successful players. They had something that all successful players have, which is an inner drive. And, you know, I mean, Tim, Tim was obviously a star in high school. But, but as such a driven person, such an unbelievable competitor, you know, he was someone that was, uh, you know, I, I I could always push his buttons. You know, I mean, if you wanted to see him do something, I'm like, hey, there's no way you could do 100 pushups right now. Oh, there's no way you could jump this high. There's no way you could make that throw. I mean, it was like almost like I, I you know, I just threatened him with the greatest thing in the world. I'll show you I can do it. Uh, just the competitive drive. And Dak the same way. And one of the great things I always saw with Dak Prescott is we recruited him, came to our camp. He was okay. I gave him some things to work on. I said, I, I really need you to work on this, come to the next camp. And he got better at all of it. And I said, okay, boy, th- this guy has all the it factors. He has the leadership. He has the drive. He has this, this that it factor, that personality you want to be around. And everything I gave him to work on, he always improves on. And all of those guys, successful people and all the great players that you see, they're always getting better. They don't rely on the talent. They're always finding ways to make the talent better. Whatever, you know, every gift that that God's blessed them with, they find a way to maximize it and make it the best they can. And they're always improving. And that's what successful people do. Uh, you know, and not just in football, in any field that you're at, if you want to be successful, you're always you're always getting better or you're getting worse. You never say the same. You hear that? Because even if you stay the same, people around you are changing and getting better or worse. So you're sliding up and down that competitive scale, no matter what is happening. And those guys had that. They had that drive. And, you know, Dak Prescott's the guy that every year I've watched him, he's gotten better. And that continues to this day. I mean, I've, from freshman through his senior year, all five years at Mississippi State with me. Do all every year in the NFL? I watch him. He gets better every single year, and that's the type of drive that you want to have in players. And when you're around special guys, you see it. They're they're guys that are always finding ways to improve.
0: Last question for you, Dan. Despite how wildly popular college football is, there's always a a, a lot of talk, and rightfully so, about the dysfunction uh, around this. <laughs> Uh, and they, they say how oh, there's a need for someone to be in charge of college football, a czar, a commissioner, whatever you want to call it. If you were in charge, what are some of the changes you would make?
1: So I would definitely look, look at some, and I, I would do some different things. I would love to kind of, I'm with you on that. I would kind of blow up what they have right now, blow up the structure and let's just start over. We're, we're going to blow up the calendar uh, from the beginning. We're going to change the recruiting calendar uh, so that you can coach during the season that you're coaching the guys, the season, then you're setting recruiting up after the season, trying to mess a little bit with the transfer portal with the calendar that way. So guys finish the season. I'd love to see, you know, unfortunately, in today's world, because you can't go back. I love the old traditional ways of college football, but it's not going back. I think there should be There's, I'd love to see uh, eight, eight team conferences um, at the top level. And you know what? And, and you do some different things within that. If you win the conference, you make the playoffs. Your are if you win your deal you you can make it an 18 playoff other teams can go to a bowl game and then there's a second group of eight 18 conferences whether you call it power fire you know basically there's a, a division one and a one a, a one you know the two two splits uh of the schools and, and you know the, t- the the division winners play in bowl games for a championship and then you have other bowl games and, and things going down the line um for the deals you you It'd be really easy. You revenue share with all of it. You know, you sit there and say, Hey, here's division. There's 64 teams in group one. Uh, and there's four TV networks, you know, each of you would, Hey, there's eight you, each of you get two of the divisions for home games, start the bidding. We're going to pull the money and share it with everybody. Same with the second group of of eight teams um, and go do that. And I think I, I would just love to see them, someone get control and say, we're going to restructure the whole thing, because as you said, I think for the people on the inside, they see the dysfunction. Now, the the thing that is unbelievable is the product on Saturdays is the best. I mean, I don't know if there's a better sport than a college football Saturday. So the product on game day and now in bowl season, the product every day of the week, which is even like, that's what makes it right. The most wonderful time of the year. There's games all day, every day at bowl season. Uh, It makes it unbelievable. So the product on the field on game day is still the best there is in sports. And so it's all the people behind the scenes that really have to look and say, hey, the end result product is still unbelievable. So be careful about changing it too much. But how do we make it where it's long-term sustainable and beneficial for everybody uh, to continue to make it as good as we can make
0: it? Some good ideas there for sure. Well, Dan, I really appreciate your time. As we said at the outset, you and I have known each other a long time. I love the fact that we stay in touch. Uh, Thanks for your time today, and uh, good luck calling the rest of your games during bowl season.
1: Absolutely. Thanks. Great to be with you, and it's going to be exciting. I can't wait to watch all the games. All right. Take care.
0: Well, that'll do it for this week's podcast. If you missed any of our past episodes, you can catch them on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's show, we'd appreciate you to like, subscribe and drop a five-star rating. And as always, you could follow all the bull season news on our website, bullseason.com and on social media at Bullseason. Thanks for listening.